invite you to turn with me tonight in your Bible to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. We've been um, spending time in the Psalms again in the, the summer season. Um, but I wanted to jump ahead to this, this precious little jewel of a Psalm. Psalm 133. Note it's a song of ascents. It belongs to a, a, a group um, of psalms by that title, Song of Ascents. These would be psalms that would be uh, either written for or uh, sung by the people as they made their way up to Jerusalem for the holy days and the festivals. Uh, and so these would be um, songs specifically related to that, and we're going to see tonight in Psalm 133 that it is as well. Psalm 133 is a psalm of David. Let's give our attention to God's word. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the, on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, thank you for this psalm, a psalm of praise and worship of David as he delights in the gift that you give, the gift of Christian fellowship and Christian unity. And Father, we pray that your spirit tonight would help us to, to see the preciousness of it as David did and to, to celebrate it and to preserve it and cherish it. Uh, for Lord, you bless it richly. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't, um, I'm not telling you anything you don't know when I tell you that we live in a day of increasing polarization. Uh, we see it happening in our country. Uh, we see uh, that uh, controversy sells, outrage uh, produces clicks or hits, and hits make money. And uh, uh, our politicians and uh, media are, are well aware of that fact and leverage that fact uh, to their advantage. There's nothing to stir up some votes like stirring up outrage. Unfortunately, it, is, it has been devastating to the well-being of our community, our society. And Psalm 133 is a wonderful reminder of the blessedness of unity, the blessing of fellowship, of true communion. Uh, we know, of course, that, that disunity, division, schism, uh, happens not only in the world around us, it happens in our homes, it happens in our relationships, and it happens in the church. Um, sin has brought this about. We're having some examples in our community uh, right now. Uh, the Prosser Reformed Churches, you can pray for them as they're involved in a very, very painful split in the Prosser Reformed Churches. That is just devastating families, families being torn apart, friendships being broken. Uh, there are other churches in our, in our community that are going through a very hard um, and sad division. And people get wounded. People get deeply, deeply wounded. If you've ever been involved in a church split, it's one of the most painful things that you're going to experience. Uh, we've experienced a little division uh, here at Harvest over the past year. As we, um, as we came through COVID, we, it was hard. And there were disagreements uh, there were people who uh, felt so strongly about it, they felt they needed to go and worship someplace else. It was hard. Uh, I think the Lord has been kind to us through, through the past year. I think uh, even though we haven't all agreed, I think we learned to talk and to, to, to reach for each other and to keep our eyes on, on the mission, on the gospel. Uh, but it, but it's, it's hard and it's painful. And, and I think as we're coming back together now again, sort of post-COVID and, and moving forward in gospel ministry and, um, 
I think it's important for us just to highlight again the critical importance and the incredible blessing of unity. Unity is one of those things that you can very easily take for granted. And you don't even really, really maybe realize what a blessing it is until you see its absence. And so if you've been in a church split, uh, you know what a, a precious thing it is to, when a church will unite together under the gospel. Um, maybe you've been out with... with um, some couples, uh, some event or a dinner out together, and, and one of the couples was maybe just having a bad night, but they were not happy, and they were after each other all night long. And, and you get back in the car, and you say to your, your wife, man, honey, I am so glad uh, we're not doing that. I love our marriage. Um, well, Psalm 133 is supposed to make us say, I love the unity of the saints. I love the fellowship of the people of God. It's a song of praise to help us rejoice and, and cherish and uh, preserve and receive uh, this gift, for it is a gift that God gives. Um, it's very possible that David wrote this psalm as he's just watching the crowds um, gathered there in the streets of Jerusalem for the festival. Uh, the outline of the psalm is very simple. It begins with a declaration, how good it is and pleasant. And then David uses two similes to, um, to sort of explain what the goodness is like. What, what is the goodness and the pleasantness of church unity? And then finally, a promise. The Lord commands a blessing um, to the place of unity. And so we'll just take it in that order. Uh, David begins with, behold, take note, pay attention, wake up. There's something I want to show you, David says, something that can easily be overlooked. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Good and pleasant is a happy combination of, of words because um, they don't always go together. Boys and girls, uh, you know that everything, uh, not everything that's good for you is pleasant. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, my mom assured me broccoli was good for me. was not pleasant. Maybe your, maybe your mom and dad uh, give you a cough medicine. It's good for you. It's not pleasant. Not everything good is pleasant, and not everything pleasant uh, is good. So um, cotton candy, very pleasant, not good for you. Mountain Dew, uh, candy corn, anything with, with, uh, with corn syrup in it basically is uh, <laughs> pleasant, not good. All right, so here we have this nice combination, something that's good and pleasant, something that's, that's good and delightful, lovely. Well, what is the goodness of Christian unity? The word here is the same that we find in Genesis 1. Uh, when God created the heavens and the earth, he looks and, and God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. Good is life as it was intended to be. Uh, good is life as it was known in the Garden of Eden. Prior uh, to their fall to sin, Adam and Eve knew exactly what that was like. They, uh, they knew nothing except perfect unity. So they lived in perfect harmony with each other, with the created world around them, with the God who made them. Uh, they never fought ever. They never said unkind words. They never thought unkind thoughts. They, uh, they were never selfish never got angry, never took each other for granted, never sought to have their own way. They, never, they didn't know what strife was. If you would say, how do you deal with the conflict in your marriage? They would look at you like, what's, what's conflict? Some of you are saying, yeah, that's us. Um, and you're lying. Every marriage has conflict because that's what the fall has brought about. 
Uh, Every relationship has conflict. Adam and Eve knew none of that in the Garden of Eden. Complete unity and harmony. That's good. That's life as it was meant to be. But David now, as he looks and sees the crowds filling the streets of Jerusalem, it, it just strikes him, this is good in that way. The joyful worship as the people come to, to uh, the place of the sacrifices, and the happy reunions of family and friends, the quiet evenings that would be spent uh, around the campfire laughing and sharing stories. It was just rich. It was good. It wasn't Eden, but it was wonderful. People living together in deep unity with deep shalom. For those of you who um, have a history here at Harvest Church, it was like family camp. Back in the good old days, right before the ravaging flu and, and things like that. But you had a sense, didn't you have a taste? You remember that? Of, of just, it was so good to be together, so good to walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope you know this in your home. I hope there's times you look around and you know, the, the kids are all behaving and reading you know, great literature and, uh, and, you're, and your wife holding hands on the couch. Maybe it doesn't like that, but you just look around and you say, you know what, this is really good. This is really good. I hope you have that in your home. Uh, it's good to have it in a church. Just to look around and, and worship and say, it's, it's good to do this together to walk this pilgrim road together, to, to confess our sins and rely on the gospel and bear with each other and, and be thankful for each other. It's pleasant and good. Well, David gives us two similes to explain a little further what he means. Uh, what is the goodness and the pleasantness of this fellowship of the brothers? Uh, the one is uh, the, the simile of anointing oil. oil. It's like. And, and this simile stretches us a little because we don't have any reference point for this. But David says, it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. And, and almost no one reads that and says, oh yes, exactly. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about this, this special anointing oil that is it, the recipe literally came from heaven. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 22-28, God gives Moses a recipe for Uh, olive oil mixed with spices that was to be sacred anointing oil and only used for anointing sacred things, primarily priests, prophets, kings. But if there was a sacred anointing to happen, this would be the oil that was to be used. And it was not allowed to be used for anything else. Uh, If someone tried to make this on the side and sell it, God says, yeah, you cut him off and remove him from the camp. It was sacred anointing oil. It was a very sweet smelling oil. And so when, when a priest like Aaron would be anointed, uh, the aroma would, would fill the room. And the oil represents the Holy Spirit. That, that's the idea that when men, so when David was anointed by Samuel, the anointing was uh, the sign of God's anointing of the Holy Spirit equipping David for the task of being a king. That David was set apart and equipped for this unique task. Well, church fellowship is like that. A Christian fellowship is like that. Christian fellowship is a, a sweet-smelling, um, sacred thing before the Lord that is a gift from the Holy Spirit and equipping us for the task 
of mission. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing, Christian unity is. It's a, it's a sweet aroma that should spread out from our church and out from our homes into the surrounding community so that when people come into contact with it, they recognize there's something unique. I remember a testimony of a, of a young Christian lady uh, years past who was worshiping at Harvest, and she had come to faith just a few years ago, and what happened was um, she was from a completely unchurched family, they had no church in her background at all. She went to a foreign country uh, in a student exchange program and there was uh, lived with a Christian family and was just amazed at the, the love, the joy, the peace, the unity, and the fellowship of that Christian home so that she was driven to start asking questions. What do you guys know? What's going on? And they were able to lead her to Christ. Christian fellowship and unity has that profoundly attractive aspect to it, and it's a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We'll see in a moment, but you know, this doesn't just happen. It's a gift that God gives, and it's a necessary part of equipping us for our Christian calling. In John chapter 17, so Jesus is, uh, this is his high priestly prayer before he goes to the cross. He's praying for the things that are most deeply on his heart. And, and one of the things that he prays for most specifically in John 17 is that the church might be one. He says, I pray that they may be one uh, as, as we are one and, and they may be in, in us. Um, and he says the reason he wants them to be one, he's praying for their, their unity so that the world may believe you have sent me. That's an amazing statement. Lord, I pray that, Father, make them one so that the world may know that you have sent me. They may believe that you have sent me. Because the unity of, of brothers and sisters is to be otherworldly in that sense and evidence that God is present, that lives are being transformed and old patterns of selfishness and pride and anger are falling away and new fruits of love and joy and peace are being born by the presence and power of God. It's that essential. So David speaks of it as this anointing oil that, that, that flows from the head of Aaron and down onto his beard and down onto the collar of his robe. He uses another expression, uh, another simile. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Well, dew was another precious commodity in Israel because Israel, as you know, is a very dry, arid place. And during the dry season particularly, dew is what keeps things living if they stay alive. Uh, well, in this dry and arid place, Mount Hermon, which is 120 miles to the north, it's the highest mountain in uh, Israel, and it was known for its copious dew. Uh, the, the, the moist, warm air from the Mediterranean moves inland and condenses as it rises up the heights of Mount Hermon. And so on Mount Hermon, even though it's in the middle of this sort of arid place, it's green, it's lush. Uh, it was said that there would be puddles formed by the dew, and that could, that would, that could uh, form into streams even running down the mountain. Now, the interesting thing David says is the dew of Mount Hermon runs down onto the, the mountains of Zion. So the dew of Hermon ends up in Jerusalem, 120 miles away. Well, how does that work? Well, it's a simile. David's just saying that this, uh, this dew that descends on Mount Hermon, which produces life and growth and green, lush areas, 
That is what is, uh, the people of God are experiencing in Jerusalem. This spiritual dew, in a sense, that comes down from God as God's people gather and they worship. And it produces life and lush, green, vibrant, growing things. That's what happens when there's Christian unity. And it's, and it's unique. This, it's, it's life in the midst of a dry and weary land. Uh, one of the things that um, the youth group mentioned as they were evangelizing is, is some of the anger, some of the strong responses. Uh, if we live in a bit of a bubble, right, as Christians, uh, if you're out in the world, you'll, 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 you'll notice that there's so much anger, so much division, strife, discord, enmity, malice, slander. World saturated, and, that, and all that stuff is acid to relationships. And and David here is just celebrating this this dew that falls in the in the communion of the saints, that that washes away the acid, and produces life, lush, growing, beautiful spiritual life. So that when people come into our fellowship, into our homes, when they come into our church, what they should, it should look like a spiritual oasis. It should look like an outpost from another world. What, what has happened to these people? What, what's, what do they know? What do they have? that allows them to love and, and to enjoy each other uh, in this deep, united way. Well, David uh, reminds us there is a promise attached to this blessing. For there the Lord has commanded the blessings life forevermore. The Lord commands his blessing on the place where brothers live together in unity, in this sweet oil and life-giving dew of Christian unity. Futado in his commentary says, In this psalm we are taught that blessings descend like oil and dew where people are living in harmony. The blessing that descends on harmonious living is nothing short of life in all of its fullness. I think that's right. Do you want the blessedness of God, the blessing of God in your life? I do. I want to be blessed by the Lord. Well, um, David tells us it's found in, in unity. And so in, in the New Testament, we'll see Paul saying, like in Colossians 3, put away all anger and wrath and malice and slander. Put it away. That doesn't belong to you anymore. And instill, cl instead, clothe yourselves with humility and kindness. Why? So that you might be of one mind, one heart, that we're, we're enjoying together the unity that God blesses. Well, how do we get this unity? Let's close with that. How do you get it? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, David answers that question in two ways. Uh, first, um, by emphasizing that it is a gift, not an accomplishment. <clears throat> Notice there's nothing in the psalm that tells us how to achieve unity, whether that be in your marriage, uh, whether that be in your relationships, whether that be in the church. There's nothing in the psalm that says, here's how you do it. Uh, this is what you need to do. There are no commands at all in the psalm. But there's a repeated word that's highly instructive, and that word is running down or descending. And so we see it three times in verses 2 and 3. So it, it's the oil running down on the beard of Aaron and running down on the collar of his robes and the dew running down in, on the mountains of Zion. It's all the same verb. It's all the same word. 
In David's mind, you see, if you ask the question, where does the oil and dew of brotherly love and fellowship and unity, where does it come from? David clearly is saying, well, it comes from above. You don't work it from the ground up. It comes from above. It falls down. It descends. And if you think about dew, of course, well, dew condenses. But in, the, in those days, they would think of dew as, as descending. It's coming down from God. Um, Kidner says this then. He says, true unity, like all good gifts, is from above. Bestowed rather than contrived, a blessing far more than an achievement. Bestowed rather than contrived, a blessing more than an achievement, more than an accomplishment. Well, that's really important um, to know because otherwise you can just sort of, right, you can take, make efforts to create unity and, and maybe have some success, but it's not the unity that, that David's talking about. It's not this deep, rich, flourishing, life-giving, soul-refreshing uh, reality. For that to happen, that kind of deep union, that is received as a gift from God. Well, how do you receive that then? How do you receive that into your home? How do you receive that into your marriage? How do you receive that into your relationships and as a church? Well, I think it's instructive that David, again, speaks of this oil running down the head and the beard of Aaron. He could have said, it's like the oil running down the head of a prophet when a prophet was anointed or a king when a king was anointed. Uh, they were all anointed in the same way with the same oil. Uh, David chooses a priest, and I think it's because it is uniquely the priest, as he offers sacrifices for the sins of the people, that opens the way for the gift of unity to descend. Unity, disunity, of course, you see, comes from our disunion with God, our, the fact that we've been estranged from God due to our sin. And that has... The only way that unity can happen uh, among men is if the unity is, is, the reconciliation has happened with God himself. Well, this clearly shows us the wonder of being a Christian where we know that Jesus has come to accomplish exactly this. Jesus is the supremely anointed one, the anointed, the Messiah, the priest of God. And if you ask the question, why did Jesus come? Unity is right at the heart of the answer. He came to reconcile sinners to God. That's why he came, to reconcile us to God. And then being reconciled to God, to be reconciled with one another. In the New Testament, in the early church, one of the greatest evidences of that was the, the reconciling that happened between the Jews and Gentiles in the gospel said that this is one of the, was, Psalm 133 was one of the favorite psalms of the New Testament church. As they rejoiced in the unity they had, where once there had been nothing but division and animosity. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, speaking to Gentiles. But now, he says, you are alienated from God without hope, without God in the world. You are uh, uh, slaves to death and sin. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You want to know how to kill hostility? It only happens through the cross. You want to know how to achieve reconciliation, actual real reconciliation, whether it be in your marriage, whether it be racial, whatever reconciliation you want to talk about. The, the reconciliation, the only reconcili reconciliation that, that is worthy of the name that's true happens through the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful thing. This, this, we have a place we can go when there's disunion in your home. There's a place you can go at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ where you confess your sin together. You acknowledge that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you can confess that, you, that because the gospel is true that you can be forgiven there and that having been forgiven, the Holy Spirit can actually work in you the ability to show grace and love and to forgive, to embrace people that wound you. You see, we don't, we don't have to live in, these, in the constraints of strife. But if we, want, if we want unity, it happens through the cross. It's the only way that it happens. And so the call of Psalm 133 then is to receive that gift. To receive the wonderful gift that God has given to you. We, we all are not just the victims of strife. We're the agents of strife. Let's confess that truth. Let's acknowledge our sin and our pride, the things that we've done, the anger, rage, and malice and slander, uh, the things that we've done that have produced disunity and, 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 and harm. Confess those before the Lord at the foot of the cross and then be free, receiving his grace to show grace. So receive it. Cherish it. Cherish the union the unity of the body of Jesus Christ. And so when you see a brother or a sister um, out of their own hurt or pride, whatever it might be, um, taking, uh, you know, just nitpicking or, or sledgehammer, whatever it might be, at Christian unity, well, we help each other in that. We, we don't allow that. We don't, we, don't, we don't just shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's okay. No, that's that's, that's an attack against the unity of the church or, or, of Jesus Christ or, or when it happens in our homes. We don't talk to each other like that because we're Christians. We belong to Jesus Christ, receiving the unity, the, the reconciliation we have in God. Uh, so cherish it. And then finally, share it. One of the things the commentators point out in these psalms is that this image of flowing down means that, that unity, um, it, it starts comes from above, flows down on the head or on the mountain, and it flows down and it blesses others. One of the greatest temptations for a home or a, a, a church, when we're experiencing real precious communion, one of uh, the, the, the oil of fellowship, one of the dangers is we want to bottle it. So we've got a nice small little group here. Let's not mess it up by inviting other people in. We've got a nice little church here. And we all know each other and we all love each other. Let's not muck it up by inviting other people in. Let's bottle it. We like our small group. We like our church. We like just our family. Now again, family time's great. But God didn't give us this gift of unity to bottle it. He gave us the gift of unity to share it. And in sharing it, our unity then, it doesn't, it doesn't um, lessen 
it grows. As we share then in the life that we have in Jesus Christ, as we share in the joy of seeing this gift that God has given to us uh, flow out to other people and bless other people and call other people in. The unity that we have ahead of us as a church in mission is, is surpasses just the unity of knowing each other and just the unity of liking each other. But it's the unity of following our Lord Jesus Christ and in union with him, seeing what Jesus does as this precious gift is received and flows. May God give us that gift. Amen. Well, God in heaven, thank you for this beautiful little psalm, and thank you, Lord, for the gift of Christian unity. And forgive us, Lord, for our sins, the words that we've said, the things that we've done that have undermined the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. Forgive us for our pride our negligence, our insistence in having our way. Lord, it's a sin against Jesus who gave his life to make us one. And Father, I pray that there would be a spirit of humility in this body, a spirit of, of gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done for us, that we'd be willing to to love each other deeply, and not only willing, but, Lord, able, able to do that. That we would, Lord, have a deep sense of the privilege to walk together as the people of God, to follow Jesus Christ, to receive all his goodness, all his gifts, and then to share them with each other and with others around us. Jesus, you, you died to reconcile us to God and to one another, and I, I just pray that we would not allow division, hurt, um, discord, strife in the, in the family of God. But that, Lord, this would be a church where the dew of, of fellowship and the, the sweet-smelling oil of, of fellowship would be real and experienced and bless us and others to the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing together. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Let's stand together and sing.
2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul's writing to a church that, if you remember, was ripped apart by division. I follow Peter, I follow Paul, and uh, there's all sorts of division in the church of Corinth. And yet the gospel is able to bring unity. And Paul closes his second letter with this. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And then he gives the benediction. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.